The uh, scripture reading today is taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 2, which can be found on page 916 of your Red Pew Bibles. That's Jonah, chapter 2, on page 916 of your Red Pew Bibles. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord. Well, during this summer, we are working through a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. We're not going to be covering all of them, but the Minor Prophets are these 12 books, small books. That's why they're called minor, not because their message is small, but because their length is short. And they, each of these, in a unique way, um, speak a powerful word from God. So every Sunday, we're going to be exploring one book. Last week, Pastor Nick launched us into this series with Micah, and this week, we're going to be looking at the uh, book called Jonah. And to do that, we are very glad to welcome this morning a guest preacher. We're going to have a number of guest preachers throughout the summer months as well, but today, we're especially glad to welcome Dr. Tim Tang. Um, Tim is the director of the Tim Center, not named after him. It is the Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center at Tyndale University and Seminary. Uh, it is a, a center that assists the church, equips the church to grow in its intercultural ministries. In fact, Knox, we're going to be partnering and working with the Tim Center this year as they're going to coach and assist our leadership as we think through and lean into um, increasing our intercultural capacity here at Knox. And so we're really glad to have uh, Dr. Tim Tang with us. Tim, why don't you come forward and let me pray for you. Welcome to Knox. Thank you. And uh, nice pink shirt, man. <laughs> me too. We're, we're rocking the pink shirts this morning. <laughs> let, let us pray for Tim, shall we? Gracious God, we thank you for all the gifts you give to us, and many of those gifts come wrapped up in human form, and we thank you for Tim Tang, and we thank you for his leadership with the Tim Center, and we pray an anointing and blessing upon his leadership there. God, may his work there cause your church here in Toronto and beyond to, to reflect the beautiful diversity that you have created in this world. But we pray for him this morning too, God. We pray that as he brings your word, as he preaches and proclaims good news, we pray for an anointing of your Holy Spirit upon him. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks. And thanks for the uh, quick um, introduction about the Tim Center. Yeah, I, I, I struggle a lot, i got to be honest. I just became the director not too long ago. And, uh, and so when I do have my name written up, I try to use as many acronyms as possible, Reverend, Doctor, not because I'm high on myself or I want to point to the degrees that I have, but I even use the, the name Timothy. I put my middle name in there just so people don't get confused and think that the center is named after me, right? Because I always have to introduce myself as Tim from the Tim Center. No, it's not named after me. Although, I put a pitch into the dean at the school to see if I can rename it to the Tim Tang Center. Uh, they haven't approved that yet, but when they do, then uh, I'll... I'll let you know. This week, uh, I let my, some of my, my team know, some of my colleagues and the other people that I work with, I let them know that I was coming to preach at Knox, and um, one of my colleagues, he called me up actually on Friday, and he said, uh, Tim, I heard you're praying at Knox Presbyterian. Uh, I'm praying for you. And I said, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your prayers. And he said, he said now, Tim, you know, he, he's been a missionary with African Inland Mission for about 30 years. So he's, he's been around. He's been sent from Toronto. He spent 12 years in Kenya. He's come back and he spent some time with us as a center. And he said to me, Tim, now, not to make you nervous, but if I were you, I'd be nervous. And I said, well, why? Why should I be nervous coming to Knox? And, and he said, do you know, do you know the people that they used to fly in to this place to preach? And I said, you know what, Robert, don't tell me because don't get me nervous, you know. But I'm looking forward to being able to report back that uh, there should be no nervousness about preaching. If anything, uh, I feel very privileged to be here and the, the privilege and opportunity to, to share God's word and to minister with you. When Reverend Phil asked me to preach through the Minor Prophets, I thought to myself, great, you know, uh, there's lots of books there to choose from. I asked him what's available still, and when he told me the book of Jonah is still available, I thought, I'm picking the book of Jonah. Because everyone sort of knows the book of Jonah, yes? No? A little bit? If I say Jonah, you say Fish. So I heard fish. I heard some whale. Can I get the next slide? So typically, when you think about Jonah, immediately you think about a big fish or a whale. Now, these are the minor prophets. Now, I heard you started uh, the minor prophet series through the book of Micah. Just beside the big fish is the naked man Micah. I don't think you covered the naked Micah last week. So you can ask Pastor Nick. You can ask him about the naked man, which he did not cover the uncovered Micah. Jonah, however, quite famously for a lot of people, as soon as they think about Jonah, they think about this big fish. And many people know the story of Jonah. Now, on one hand, that's great because many people know. But on the other hand, you never want to assume that everybody knows the story of the fish and Jonah. And some people think it's a whale. And, and there's different stories that they might have heard through Sunday school or children's stories that they've grown up with, which may be right, some of it, but may be a little bit inaccurate other parts of it. Next slide. So let me do a quick summary of the entire book. There are only four chapters to the book of Jonah. So that by the end of today, you'll know the entire book, which is only four chapters. In the first chapter of the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah and says, go preach to the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. Jonah says, no, I don't want to go to that city. I don't want to preach. I'm scared of preaching. I don't like standing up in front of people. I don't want to go to that city. That city, by the way, God, is the capital city of the enemies of my people. I don't want to go there. So he runs away and heads the other way to a place called Tarshish. He boards a ship. 
He gets on it. God's a little bit angry. We're not sure exactly how God feels, but God sends a storm and rocks the boat around. He actually, Jonah, told the sailors that he was fleeing from something. And so the sailors were like, well, what are you fleeing from? Why is there a big storm? We're all going to die, and there's this storm coming. What did you do, and why is there a storm here? And so Jonah says, yes, the storm is probably for me. He volunteers himself to be thrown overboard, it says. It's my fault that the storm is here. And as soon as he goes overboard, the storm calms. And all the sailors on board, they worship God. They weren't believers in Yahweh before, but now they are. Jonah, in chapter 1, then it says at the very end, he's swallowed by a great fish, a mighty fish. We don't know if it's a whale. It doesn't go into specific details about that. But it says a mighty fish swallows him up. And in chapter 2, we find a prayer from inside the fish. And I put it in italics there because in chapter 2, it's the only time where you actually hear first-person writing of Jonah. The rest of the book in contrast to other minor prophets, the rest of the book is written in the third person. And we're not really sure if Jonah actually wrote the book or not, but in chapter 2, all of a sudden, we change to the first person, where it's not just a narrative, it's not just a story, but now it's Jonah himself praying to God. And from inside the fish, he prays to God, he pleads to God. You can read it in detail. We'll go to it in a moment about what he says. But it's from inside the fish that God responds to him, and he's vomited out. Now, the word vomited is specifically used in your Bible. And I wanted to make note of it so you understand the feeling, the sensation of this story. I don't know if you remember the last time you vomited. Hopefully it wasn't in the, in the near past. But if you remember what it's like to vomit uh, and that sickening feeling that it's like, maybe you have children, you see them vomit every now and then, but right at the end of the vomit, there's that bile taste, right? That burning sensation in your throat. That's what Jonah is in. He's in the bile. He's in that burning sensation. Just trying to give you a little taste or feeling of where Jonah is at. But that's where we're left off at the end of chapter 2. Jonah in the middle of bile, but saved from the storm saved from this great fish. Chapter 3, Jonah says, fine, fine, fine. I don't want to be in vomit. I don't want to be in a fish. I don't want to be in the bile. I'll go to the city. And literally, all he says at the city when he gets there, all he says to the people of Nineveh is 40 more days and the great city of Nineveh will be destroyed. How's that for the gospel message? That's all he says. 40 more days and this great city will be destroyed. There's no bridge analogy. There's no Roman road to the cross. There's no, you know, sin and atonement theology. It's just 40 more days and this city will be destroyed. That's all he says. And it says in chapter 3, the entire city turned. They turned and believed in God. They turned from their ways, from simply all vomited, smelling, bile-looking Jonah saying, 40 more days and this city will be destroyed. And then we get to chapter 4. 
And chapter 4 is an interesting turn because Jonah is still a little bit not happy. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, he says, because I didn't want them to be saved. I didn't want them to turn to you, God. I wanted them to be destroyed. I wanted that in 40 days for your, your vengeance to be laid out on the city because they're my enemies, God. I wish that they would have died. And in that little story, it's kind of, kind of neat. He, he sits down beside a tree and a weed grows up, gives him some shade. He's really happy under the shade. But then the weed shrivels up and gets eaten by a worm and it gets all sad again. And God has this dialogue and conversation with him and basically says to him, is it right for you, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry at these people when I still love them too? Is it right for you to be angry at this weed that grew and beside you and gave you shade? You did nothing for it. Is it right for you to be angry now that it's been shriveled up and it's been eaten by this worm? Is it right for you when you've really done nothing and I've done everything? And so this story of four chapters wraps up and it ends abruptly in chapter 4. The story doesn't end with, and Jonah understood, you know, the, the deep sin that he had to God and he lived forevermore. It just ends right there. It ends. It says the city of Nineveh turned and Jonah, and Jonah. That's literally how it ends. The, the story continues unfinished. Now, I find this prophet and this book of the Bible interesting in so many ways. As a minor prophet, it's a smaller book, not in terms of importance, but in terms of length. It's four chapters. Uniquely, the book of Jonah is a story. It's not just a set of commands or a set of words that he says like the other prophets, but it's a story. It's a narrative. It's a story that's dissected and looked at. I don't know how much you've looked at uh, rabbinical and Jewish ways of looking at scripture, but the rabbis and teachers of the law used to say that with narrative and with parables and stories in the Bible, they're like a fine gem that you would turn, polished and cut just right, so that sun gleaming off it every time you turned would shine a different light in a different way. You have beautiful stained glass windows here, and if you're here at different times in the day, I'm sure the sun shines in at different ways and different angles and different colors. Stained glass windows, which are incredibly beautiful, just like the industrial building that we have in our church uh, that is stained, but stained in a different way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to linger here as much as I can because I'm actually really loving uh, the, the actual stained glass windows. So. If you'll entertain me this morning, I want to turn this story a few times and take a look at the different ways to look at Jonah, the prophet, and this book, and what it might be saying to us. Next slide. Firstly, if you advance the first words if you can. Great. Firstly, the message I usually call is just comfort versus call. And this is kind of the traditional message that people come and get out of Jonah. It's a great message, uh, this idea that God gives us a call to many of us, and we have a decision to make, not just every day, but maybe life big decisions that God places on our hearts, that maybe God's called you to do something, that you know that God's tugging at your heart when you pray and you think, oh, God really wants me to do this, but I'm not sure if I want to do that because it's not exactly comfortable. Every Sunday morning, for you to wake up and not sleep in till noon, you're making that decision. Do I want comfort of my down pillow, or do I want to feel the tug of God calling me to come to church? But maybe it's, it's, it's bigger questions and deeper challenges. For any of you who have ever been on short-term missions before, 
You've sacrificed vacations. You've sacrificed your summers. Some of you have been on longer, lifelong missions as well. There's a decision that you had to make. Do I take a life of comfort or do I take a life that follows God's call on my heart? For me, even as a preacher, I remember back to when I was first feeling God's call to go into ministry. And the first thing I said to God was, God, I don't like public speaking. I hate public speaking. I have vivid memories of being in grade one, standing in front of my entire elementary school. I think I was turning a bright green color and my knees were wobbling and shaking and somehow I made it through because I hated every minute of speaking in front of people. And yet the call on my heart was so clear that I had to go through and I had to continue on with ministry because of it. And if you're in that place this morning, where you're deciding on something, that you feel God calling your heart, your life to make a change that, that seems uncomfortable, and you're trying to figure out what does that mean, and you need to hear that message this morning of deciding between comfort or God's call on your heart. I, I pray that that's the message that you hear this morning. If that's where you're at, I don't know your lives, I don't know what you're going through, but in your journey this morning, if you're going through a challenge or an invitation from God and you're struggling with it, may that message of comfort versus call be spoken to you. But if I can turn this story a slight bit. Now, again, if you needed to hear that message, don't listen to anything else of the message. But let me turn the story from inside the fish. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 sticks out so much. Now forget the comfort and call bit for a minute. If you read the specific words that Jonah says in that prayer, in my distress, from deep in the realm, hurled into the depths, I've been banished. The engulfing waters, they threaten me. The deeps surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. If you read through the details of what he's saying here, it's a suffocating feeling. He's in the depths. He's in the lowest of the low he's ever felt in his entire life. This is beyond just failing a test in high school. Now, not to belittle anybody in high school. When you're in high school and you fail a test, you feel like the end of, well, your first test, maybe the fifth time you don't feel as bad. But the first test you ever fail, you feel kind of bad, you feel kind of low, you feel like the end of the world could come. But imagine failing the entire course. Imagine if you've ever failed out of school. I'm not judging you, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but it doesn't feel good. Those of you who remember back to the first time your boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you, your first breakup, it doesn't feel good. Those of you on a deeper scale who are working through separations and marriage divorces. I'm not judging you, I'm just saying it probably doesn't feel very good. That these words that Jonah says probably resonate deeply with you, that suffocating feeling, that hopelessness feeling. If you've ever lost your job, been fired, if you've ever looked down at your bank account and thought, I don't know if I can pay next month's rent, you know exactly how Jonah's feeling here in this chapter. Some of us are battling through mental illness. Some of us are battling through depression, anxiety. And these words 
that Jonah speaks from the pit when he says, my life was ebbing away. You know exactly what he's feeling with those words. And I'm not here this morning to tell you, oh, everything's going to be all right, it's going to be perfect. Oh, just say these magical words and everything's going to be great. Uh, But what I do know is that in the book of Jonah, it's from within the fish, it's from within the pit that there is hope. It's It's from within the depths, the lowest of the low that Jonah could ever be that he finds salvation. It's from that place of hopelessness that he finds God. And if you need to hear that message this morning, again, I don't know where your story is. I don't know the journey that you've been on. I don't know the challenges that you've been through. And, and I'm not even going to give an illustration from my own life. Dare I compare it to whatever else you may be going through. But whatever you may be going through, I, I pray that you read through chapter 2. You read that prayer as a prayer of Jonah resonating with, with the depth of being within that fish or the the lowest of the low that you may feel. And you may feel and sense God's hope and presence in your life. Now, if I can turn Jonah one more time. The city of Nineveh stuck out to me in many ways. Now, I'm a map person. I love maps. So when I go to a new mall or I go to a new place, I love looking at the map, looking at the directory. It drives my wife crazy because she's just, why don't you just walk? And I'm like, because if you just walk, you don't know where you're going. You need to look at a map. So I love looking at maps. So I looked up a map on where Nineveh was. Next slide. And I don't know if you can see this or not. Nineveh is on the far, far right. And, And Jonah starts, according to the Bible, just a little bit to the left of where Nineveh is. He starts about 500 kilometers away. That's where he, where we think he feels called from God. And he decides, instead of going 500 kilometers away, which seems like a long way, to go to the other end of the map, Tarshish. That's how far he runs. It would take several days, if not weeks, if not months for him to get to Tarshish. Let me put a little better example here. 500 kilometers away is like, Montreal, driving to Montreal, all right? If God called you to go to Montreal and you said, heck no, God, I don't like those French fries, I'm going to go to Japan because I don't want to go 500 kilometers. I want to go thousands of kilometers away. Or, or, or better yet, you know, I understand in our modern day in society, people get on planes. So a five-hour flight will take you to, I think, London. Can you get to London in five hours? Five, six hours? Five, six hours. That'll take you to London. This would be like God calling you to get on a plane to Paris or London, and you say, heck no, I want to go to Australia, which is on a flight. My friends just came back from Australia, 24 hours flight, right? Or uh, I was having a conversation with a friend, uh, and they were talking about flying to Mauritius. Anyone ever fly to Mauritius? You can Google this. If you fly to Mauritius, it's a little island in the Indian Ocean, it will take you 33 hours. 33 hours on a plane. You probably have to take multiple planes. Anyways, it's a long way away. So God calls Jonah to go five hours away or 500 kilometers away, and he goes to the other side of the world. That's what he decides to do. And to me, there's a stark difference about what's going on here, about deciding to go to the other side of the world versus next door to where God 
has called you. When I think about that stark contrast, I do think also about many missionaries and churches and Christian organizations who have sent missionaries and work all around the world. And God bless the work that's been done all around the world. But like Knox, the realization has become, what about our local neighborhoods? What about around here? Ministry that needs to be done all around here. And I know Knox has been on this journey of not just looking overseas, but also looking locally of what's going on. Next slide. At the Intercultural Ministry Center, the Tim Center, I'm from the Tim Center, uh, one of the resources we've tried to provide for churches, denominations, uh, is a website called the UreachToronto.ca. And on that website, we've tried to resource churches, denominations, communities, uh, social service agencies to help inform them about what the ever-changing dynamic is of the local neighborhoods are. You know, and as I was thinking about coming down to Knox this morning, I thought to myself, well, what's, what's in the neighborhood of Knox? And, and maybe this is old news. Uh, hopefully it's old news. Uh, but Knox is next door to the largest university in Canada, the University of Toronto. When I think about the incredible opportunity, I know you guys are already doing ministry, Bible studies, outreach to students that are here. When I think about that incredible opportunity that God has brought the nations to your city, to your neighborhood, that's almost breathtaking when I think about that. When I think about international students who have come to the city. Next slide. You know, I think about the dramatic rise of international students, not just to Toronto, but to all of Canada. From 2000 to 2010, there was about 100,000 international students rise in them having a valid Canadian study permit. So 2000, 2010, it went from 100,000 to 200,000. In the last nine years, that number has spiked to over 500,000 international students in Canada. In the last nine years, it has more than doubled the number of international students. And this is just counting university and up. I don't think this counts high school and lower, which there are hordes and hordes and hordes of international students here. I don't know how much you've reflected upon that. And I don't know how much you're involved with student ministry. Some of you are, I know. But the incredible opportunity that God has brought, the reality is, is that when we go back to that prayer in Jonah chapter 2, that's the same prayer that I hear countless times from international students who have left their home country, who have left their home schools, their families, their language, their food, their culture. They're in a land where now they feel lost. Now they feel like they're being banished. Now they feel like they've been hurled into the sea because that prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is their prayer. And what would it look like if every single church beside every single international school could come alongside them, love them, bless them, I think there'd be a huge opportunity, not just to bless them as individuals, but to bless the entire world. 60 years ago, uh, there was an international student who came from Hong Kong. And 60 years ago, he came to Canada. He found himself in Montreal. He was a little bit surprised. He didn't know that in Montreal, there'd be snow up to here. He also didn't know that in Montreal and in Canada, they actually speak French. 
Very strange if you're an international student from Hong Kong. Um, but he found himself in Montreal, and he was studying there for a few years. He got involved in a church and a community there. And at the end of his university career, he thought to himself, I really love Canada. I really enjoyed my time here. I wonder if there's any chance for me to stay. And he approached the Sunday school head. I don't know if there's a Sunday school head in this, in this church. But he approached the Sunday school head, and he had been helping out for a few years just in the Sunday school program with the kids and with the youth group and stuff like that. And he said, Mrs. Hebb, Mrs. Hebb is there any way that I can stay in Canada after I graduate. And Mrs. Hebb is, I don't know, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. I don't, I don't know if I can help you, but I'll come with you. I'll walk with you to the immigration office and see what can be done. And Mrs. Hebb walked with this young international student and went to the immigration office. And the immigration officer said, um, uh, yes, can I help you? And Mrs. Hebb said, uh, I wonder if there's any way if this young person, who, when he graduates, can stay in the country. And the immigration officer looked at her, he looked at him, he looked at her, looked at him. And the immigration officer, 60 years ago, said to her, uh, you know that Chinese people are not welcome officially. Did you know this? 60 years ago, officially, Chinese people were not welcome. They were listed as an unwelcomed people in Canada. Unwelcomed. Immigration officer said, there's nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. You, thanks for bringing him. Thanks for advocating for him. But there's nothing I can do. And she said, oh, come on. Is there, this has got to be something. You, it's all within your power to do something for this, for this student. He's a good guy. He's a good person. You know, he's still learning English. He's doing a great job. He's, he's young. He's got lots of potential. I think he could make a difference in our country. The immigration officer says, Mrs. Hebb, you know what? I actually happen to know who your husband is. He served in the military. He was a researcher. So I'll tell you what. If you can find a company that wants to hire him in the next two weeks, he's not allowed to go look for a job because that would be illegal as a visa student. If a company wants to approach him in the next two weeks and offer him a job, I'll see what I can do. So Mrs. Hebb, because she's resourceful, she knows people in the church, she came back to the church, and she found uh, a company to come alongside and say, hey, we want to hire him. Yeah, he's got a you know, semi-engineering degree. We'll hire him. And, and so the, Mrs. Hebb came back to the immigration office and said, hey, I, got him a jo- I didn't get him a job. A job was found for him. Let me use the words exactly. A job was found for him. Is there anything that you can do for him? Immigration officer looked at Mrs. Head, looked at the student, grabbed the piece of paper. Welcome to Canada. That international student was my father. I tell that story not because, oh, how miraculous it was that my father stayed in the country, but I tell that story as an encouragement to every single person who ministers to young people students, international students, and you don't know the difference that it actually could make, not just for that young person's life, but for generations to come. When I think about how close it was that my father had to go back to Hong Kong, and nothing against Hong Kong. I love Hong Kong. I love growing up in China. You know, if I had to grow up in China, I'm sure it would have been a good experience as well. But my life would have been radically changed just like that. And because my father was ministered to, was loved by a Christian community, our lives and our generations to come will be forever changed. The Bible study groups that I know you do for students, the ESL programs that I know you do, I I think I saw on your website too, there's an Adopt-A-Student program. I don't know if that's an old program that just sits on the website. Whatever it is, I encourage that ministry because those ministries... Those ministries are why I'm here today. I think it's it's not just a quick irony that now I work at an education institution. There's no just funny coincidence. God has had a plan from the very beginning. 
I don't know how that's going to lay out, but God has a plan for that. And if I can encourage any of you, any of you, to minister just to your neighbors. God bless you if God's called you to Africa. God bless you if God called you to, to Kenya. God bless you if God's called you to go to Mauritius and on a 33-hour flight. But don't forget that God has brought the world to our doorstep. When I think again of Jonah, I think that the story is unfinished. And I think of Jonah's story being unfinished. And I love that unfinished nature of what's to come. What will he be like? What kind of a person is Jonah going to be? What's going to happen with Nineveh? And I think the same thing when I think about Knox Presbyterian Church. Knox Presbyterian Church does have a storied history of being an incredibly welcoming church to even the Chinese Christians to Toronto historically. What an incredible story. But that story is not done. How will you, as a people, as a community of Knox Presbyterian Church, continue that story of grace, of love, of being called, of responding to God's call, of responding to even those times when you feel in the belly of a fish? May God continue to work through you in ways beyond your imagination to change the world. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, God, I don't know where people are at this morning if, if decisions are on their plate about being called to commit to you or living a life of comfort. I don't know if others are in a place where they feel like they're in the bottom and belly of a fish. And they feel suffocated. They feel there is no hope. I don't know if for others... They struggle with what it means to go abroad or, 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 or work and minister and, and to dwell locally. But God, may you open our eyes to see you, to hear your call, to have the courage to respond to it. Maybe be awoken to see the hope and grace that you bring even in the depths of darkness. May we also see the incredible opportunity you've called us to, to be partners in your kingdom, a kingdom that goes beyond our imagination, beyond just our church, beyond just our community, beyond just our neighborhood, but to the ends of the earth. May we journey together towards our own Nineveh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.